Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. You know, I have to say that I just absolutely love doing podcasting because I get to talk to some of the most amazing, wonderful people who have done just amazing things. And today is no exception. Today, we get to talk with Danielle Sunberg. Now, Danielle is a wellness entrepreneur, transformational coach, and keynote speaker. A former big law attorney, Danielle worked as a corporate litigator at an award-winning law firm in Washington, D.C. After successfully defending her client at trial against a $6 billion judgment, Danielle left the firm to discover what truly inspired her. Now, for years, she lived her life according to the values that she had been taught. She had learned that in order to have lifelong happiness, she needed to work hard, get a prestigious job, and achieve success. As an attorney, she had accomplished all of that, but something was missing. She was not happy and felt like her life was somehow misaligned. She had no idea why or what to do about it. Her literal and figurative journey of discovery is documented in her book, Atlas of Being. Danielle, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thank you, Dana. It's so fun to hear you read my little bio. I'm like, who is that? She sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> this was, well, I'm telling you, I read a lot and I'm, I hate to say this, but I'm just, you know, on, on, on Phoenix and Flame, we're just honest. And I'm kind of a reading snob. I have to say that because my IQ is a little higher than average and I, I just pour through books. I've, I'm a reader by nature. So I get bored with books and I'll put them down. I'm like, ain't no got time for that. I got too much to do. I'm not going to waste my time reading a book <laughs> that just tells me something I already know or that I think, to be honest, sounds stupid. Well, your book is none of that. Your book captured my attention. I was able to latch on to things that you were saying. And I'm also very much a practical realist. I've been around you know, this world long enough to know what really matters, what does not, and what's going to stick with people. I'm a kind of an application person. If I can't see how something's going to apply to real life, then I, I just don't have much use for it. I'm just like flushing it in my mental toilet. I just don't even care. Don't have the mental bandwidth for things that I don't see how they matter. Your book has all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm like halfway through. I haven't even got to the last half yet, but already I've got things underlined. I've got notes in the margins, all kinds of stuff because mm. it was just so refreshing and honest and real. And I like the way you shared your journey in the book. So I'm going to stop talking so much and just kind of share with us a little bit about you and 
what that was like, let me start out with the question right off the bat. You were in big law, which means big money, and you had defended your client against a $6 billion, let me say B, billion dollar judgment. And then I'm imagining what this must have been like when you just like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to exit stage left now. Let's start there. What, oh my gosh, what was that like? Well, first I have to say, I appreciate your feedback about the book. And that's in large part, a big driver of why I wrote it is because I've read a ton of, you know, self-development, spiritual types of books, and they can be really intriguing and offer really interesting concepts. And I can go, Ooh, I really like that. And then it leaves you there. It's like, well, what happens next? How do I integrate this into my life? How do I embody it and use it to actually up-level the way that I am in the world? So I really appreciate what you said. Um, So then to answer your question, I um, flew home from that trial, totally exhausted, burnt out, stressed out. It was the kind of trial where we were all living out of a hotel room and um, would use the ballroom. It was reserved for the entire span of trial, this huge hotel ballroom for our, you know, seven, eight attorney team, paralegals, legal assistants, and just, you know, mountains of paperwork and printers beeping all the time and copiers and food carousels coming in. And we'd have to, um, you know, wake up, we being the associates would wake up before the partners. uh, So like four or five in the morning so that we could get to this ballroom to start working and prep for court that day before the partners came because God forbid that they come in the room and the associates aren't already there, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, same thing. We No way we could go to bed before a partner goes to bed. So this is a month. And you know, no time to exercise or go to the supermarket and grab a carrot to eat. It's just you know, wow. delivery food. So I go home and I'm just unwell from you know, tip to tail, every direction, unwell. And the partner calls me to let me know that the jury came back with their verdict and we won. And he said, I'll see you back in the office in two weeks. I'm going to go take a vacation. And that's the first time I thought about my my actual office in my office building in Washington, D.C., that little glass fishbowl that I was going to have to go back to on Monday. And my stomach just tightened. And before I knew it, I said, I quit. And it flew out of my mouth. And both the partner and me were like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, did that really just happen? And uh, yeah. And so I had my two weeks notice. And that, that was sort of the end of that career. So, so fast, so sharp. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm thinking that I have listeners out there that are in somewhat similar circumstances and that they're working a job that the thought of going to work the next day causes that same tightening um, in their stomach. And you had a quote in your book that I want to bring up now because I think it really weaves in with what you just shared and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. 
I think it was quite profound. It was on, for those of you who are going to get the book, it's on page three. (laughs) It says who we are in this moment does not need to be who we remain. Something strange happens in adulthood where we believe we are done becoming ourselves. I thought that was really interesting and happens a lot. What are your thoughts on that? And and obviously I want to hear about the trip and, and everything. So what, what comes to mind? That sentence is really potent for me too. I mean, it still is just listening to you say it because what I found is that we spend so much of our energy and our time pouring into strengthening this persona that we walk around the world with. And mine happened to be this big law DC attorney who I would look in people's eyes and see how they thought of me, knowing that was my persona when they would meet me and say, Oh, you know, the first question in DC is what do you do? Right. So that would be immediately, they'd know this is who I am. And I would see in their eyes. Oh, okay. I get instant respect right? They think of me as competent, intelligent, prestigious, successful, worthy of time, all of these things that I needed to validate this persona that I had been spending so much time working on. And what happens is it can almost calcify around us and kind of like a snail who grows out of its shell. Like We grow past those personas but we sometimes don't let ourselves take that shell off and go get a new shell. Mm-hmm. I, I feel as I'm listening to you describe that, I'm feeling a fear that people would have. Um, not only have I walked with a lot of my patients through this, but experienced some of it on my own through this you know, rebranding thing that I'm still in the process of doing. And I'm not, okay, side note, I've got a meeting with my consultant, we both know later today, and it's supposed to be what she's called a huge meeting, which I'm like, oh God, do I need some wine? Is there some wine? Or (laughs) (laughs) because of the fear, even, you know, you're like, you feel like you need to grow, but there is the fear. And I'm really interested in as much as you want to share the mental space that grew for you when you went to Thailand and then you were in Greece and the things that you just allowed yourself to learn, that you opened your mind, you created space for that, but that required you to face that fear of just, I'm I'm imagining people listening to this going, okay, now let me get this straight. Danielle was a big law attorney you know, like you were saying in DC, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. I work for this firm. I'm doing well, whatever. And then you were able somehow to just turn your back on that. And you went to places, by the way, I'm reading the book that you had never been before facing a lot of unknowns. And that's a big, that's a theme that runs through the unknown how, what you feel in the unknown. And I want to hear you talk about that, what, what that was like for you and what you learned. Hmm. That's such a great question. There's so many ways to go with it. Yeah. So, you know, the fear is partially a lot of the persona that I had developed had gotten me really far in life. 
So to give it up is this, okay, am I letting go of the safety, the stability, the security of who I am in this world? And I don't know what else is out there for me. I don't know who I am without those things. So, right, like huge identity crisis. (laughs) Yes. But what happened was the risk of staying at the law firm was higher for me than the risk of leaving Mm. because I had reached my threshold of what I was willing to tolerate as far as suffering, as far as going into the office every day and feeling just empty and numb, being diagnosed with depression, feeling like, okay, I can see what happens from here years down the road, I get, you know, promoted to partner and da, 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 da. And that's how things go. And even though that's years down the road, it was just a few feet down the hall. You know, I can see the partners in that life waiting for me so clearly. And so my stomach would just twist. I'd be like, I can't keep going in this direction because more suffering is waiting for me. And what would manifest beyond mental suffering, I assume, would be more physical suffering and, you know, having more like physical symptoms of unwellness. And so I personally hit my threshold for suffering, which totally rebalanced the scales of risk. And so whatever fear was there, it's not like it went away, but there was actually more fear if I stayed. So what opened up to me as I traveled was peeling away all of that acculturation, all of those values and beliefs and shoulds, and this is who I need to be in the world, and this is what's expected of me. And that's so much easier to do in a vacuum, right? We're we're removed. So in Thailand, where no one knew me, I didn't have to be a certain way, saying I was an attorney, like the chicken vendor on the street corner isn't going to (laughs) care. So there's so much more space to let go for me personally of who I was that I wasn't going to find maintaining my current life because I I just needed to really break away. You don't have to break away from your entire life to do this. (laughs) And I hope in reading the book, you learn the tools so that you don't have to burn your career to the ground or whatever to do it. That's what it took me. But I'm also a pretty extreme person. I, you know, quit an entire career that, you know, I invested a quarter of a million dollars in and um, decided to travel six continents and do this stuff. So that's who I am. I really like the way you're terming it, though. It's you're talking about the, the pain threshold, the suffering threshold. And I think there's so many people that are hovering just because of the fear, the fear keeps them from really, they're like, well, if I, I'm looking at my job right now, I'm on antidepressants, I'm on Xanax, I'm I'm leading a miserable life. I really hate my life if I'm to be honest. And so I don't like what it is, but I have all these people that are dependent on me. I've got, you know, we've got the big girl and big boy pants on, you know, we've got uh, car payments and car insurance and mortgage and expenses for the kids and all that. And so they're thinking, what to do, how to move forward. I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are for, for those that are listening right now that are kind of in the position that you were in and they, they can't quite 
they're like right under the threshold and they're afraid. They're afraid to push beyond it. And so they're kind of willing. It's like being a frog in a pot. Have, have you heard the frog in the pot thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, for those of you out there listening who possibly haven't heard about the frog in the pot, if you, if you put a frog in a pot of, of lukewarm water, if you like turn up the flame, all of a sudden the frog's going to jump out because it's like, oh my gosh, this is this very hot water. But if you increase the flame just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, incrementally, the frog will jump nowhere and it will stay in the water until it's cooked. And I feel like there's so many people out there, unfortunately, I think more common than uncommon of people that are feel like they're a frog in that pot. And the, it, it just keeps getting a little bit hotter and a little bit hotter, but they're like, well, maybe I can handle it. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I don't need to jump out of this pot. What are your thoughts given your situation and what your experience of doing that and, and speaking to the listeners that might be wondering, gosh, that sounds like me, but I don't know what to do. I mean, that's the billion dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) I would just say, you know, yes, you can handle it. We can handle anything that comes our way in life. That's what we're built for. As humans, we have incredible innate tool sets of resourcefulness, creativity, perseverance, and desire to grow among, you know, others. And we can use those to maintain a life we don't like and push through, or we can use them to move in a direction that we enjoy. The only difference is using that emotional information of, oh, I hate my life and how that feels, tight, restrictive, sad, frustrated, angry, all of those feelings, you know, we can pathologize them and end up with a stack of medications. And I'm not saying not to use them, but that's just sort of one way of doing it. And they're not mutually exclusive, but another way is to just look at it as information. Like this is information about my life. This is the feelings that are the result of the life that I lead. And just kind of shifting the perspective that we understand our emotions can open up even just a little bit of space to say, okay, I can take a breath. I can have a little space here. They're just feelings. And what, what now? And slowing down and becoming more aware of just the way that we feel, what we think, what's going on in moment to moment is a simple, really, really simple, but lost art form that we don't practice in hustle culture. But when we do practice it, it can lead to incredible insights about ways to create a life that we like that aren't total 180s. You know, as I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking about what you put in your book about the voice and kind of like our inner voice. And and people call it different things. Um, But as I was reading that, and this is on page 54 for those listeners that are going to get the book and want to know exactly where I'm pulling this from. You called it the space underneath our thoughts. And I have to tell you, it reminded me a lot of Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. I'm not sure if you've read that or not, but actually a lawyer was the one. He was a, a, a patient of mine and he told me about the book. 
And now that's a, that's a kind of a dense book. You have to really like read a one page three times, but in that book, he talked about uh, the witness, our, the witness that we have inside that kind of witnesses what we're thinking and we're feeling without getting sucked into the center of it. And that really, in my mind, kind of aligned with how you were describing the voice. So talk about your meeting and, and, and making space for and, and learning your voice. So the voice for me is what I call our intuition. Maybe you can call it your, your own personal channeling with God or the universe or um, spiritual connection, gut, loving awareness. There's a lot of ways to talk about what I'm saying is my voice. And it's, For someone who grew up hyper-rational, type A, linear, go be a lawyer, da-da-da-da-da, which is where a lot of us grow up, we're not taught how to use our voice. We're not taught that it exists. We're not taught that it offers us any wisdom or that it's useful. And so when we don't give framework or language to something, we almost don't notice that it's there. And so this whole book is also a process of creating space for the voice to be heard and what to do about it when you hear it. And so for everyone that's different, right? Like for some people, their two intuition is um, like ideas that pop in, you know, when you're in the shower and you just have a chance to slow down and break away from regular life and put down your coffee and your computer and just sort of move into that other space, insights might drop in, aha moments, uh, creative ideas for the thing you were thinking about that you just couldn't find. That might be your voice. For some people, it could just be that feeling of openness um, or constriction around, should I do this or that? Right? And you get a, you just get a feeling in your body. It's a more of a somatic experience. So when I say voice, it's the opposite of literal. (laughs) And for me, I do experience it in multiple sensory modalities. And so a lot of the work for me too is tuning into a lot of things at once. (laughs) That's wonderful. And looking at it psychologically, it's really creating space. And instead of jumping in, and I've got another, some other quotes here I'm going to get to in just a minute, but it's being willing to think your thoughts and feel your feelings, but almost like you're stepped to the side and you're, you're aware of them and you're experiencing them, whether you're experiencing it in your body, whether you're experiencing it in your mind, in your heart, wherever, but you're experiencing it, but you don't necessarily need to do anything about it but you can be aware of it. And it's that creating space for that awareness is kind of a big deal. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. Because people spend so much time in avoidance and I see so many patients that they're going mop two with their hair on fire, avoiding things. And it's just like, stop. But they're like, no, 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 I can't stop. Because if I stop, then my feelings are waiting for me. 
my thoughts are waiting for me and I don't want to think those things. I don't want to feel those things. And so I have to keep going either from this frenetic workaholic or through use of, um, alcohol, use of pills, use of spending, use of sex, use of shopping. There's all kinds of things that people do to not sit. But if we can sit almost like to the side of our thoughts and feelings and not have to feel like we're being sucked under, that's a different story. And that's kind of what I heard you saying in that. And I'm going to use that because there's there's something, another, there's several other quotes here that I thought were fantastic. One of them, this is on page 27, and you said, you mentioned, you were talking, you said, I changed. I cared less to convince Ted or anyone else about anything. No one needed to co-sign my perspective, and I didn't need to co-sign on theirs. And I thought, once people could understand that, that changes things. That's a boundary issue right there. That's you setting a boundary. So talk about that headspace where you kind of, you had this, this understanding, this insight that you didn't, nobody needed to co-sign on your perspective and you didn't need to co-sign on theirs. What was that like? So that I think comes from the chapter where I'm in Thailand, right? And I'm sitting at the chicken restaurant. So, I mean, that's such a great story because what happened was we're sitting and eating dinner at this fun little casual chicken restaurant in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And uh, these little wooden picnic tables and all these little families next to us. And when we're done, Ted is my husband. When we're done, we make the universal sign for the waiter to get their attention for the check, you know, just raising our hands, the two little fingers in the air going, you know, like, check, please, check, please. And I see the waiter look at us and just keep going about their business. And so do it again, do it again, waiting, trying to be patient, blah, blah, blah. 10, 15 minutes go by and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I feel myself getting frustrated, tense, confused. And so then I go up to the hostess counter and, you know, signing and kind of trying to point at, I would like the check, please, to communicate it. And she understood completely what I wanted. And she handed me um, a little card. And I was like, oh, okay. So there's a totally different way of getting your check at this restaurant. And I had completely projected my past experience and expectations of what it needed to look like to get a check onto this new experience in Thailand. And that tiny little moment really sat with me. And I realized how much I had been living in like reactive thoughts that weren't conscious in the sense that I was trapped in my expectations and beliefs about what things needed to look like, right? And realizing I was upset and tense and frustrated, but the waiter wasn't. The other families were having their own experience of that of that chicken and and probably of looking at me like what is that weird sign that that American girl is making, right? Like what is she doing? <laughs> yeah, what is she doing? So I realized how subjective our experience of life is based on whatever framework of thought we're using. 
And when that really settled in, I was like, okay, so I really can't project my framework onto anybody else. I just can't. But equally, they can't project theirs onto mine. I have the power to say, no, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. This is my truth. This is my feelings and own them. And as, you know, someone who grew up as a people pleaser and also I think just partially as women, that was a really big lesson, a really important lesson that I'm still learning. That That's amazing. I really like the way you kind of couch it in feeling trapped in expectations. And I, I really, you know, I, listeners, I want you to think about, and of course, you know, I'm a big boundary person and, you know, have the boundaries online course and all that, but it, thinking about being trapped, not only in our own expectations, what we expect from ourselves, what we expect from other people, but also being trapped in other people's expectations of us and feeling like we don't, like you said, you, we don't have to co-sign on that. We can't stop what someone else is going to expect of us, but that doesn't mean we have to get trapped in their expectation of us. And we don't have to get trapped in our own expectations. We can question it. We can say, okay, this is interesting. You know, again, back to the voice, kind of stepping to the side and going, huh, this is curious. You know, I'm expecting myself to do, I'm expecting myself to, you know, stay in a, a big, big law firm. Well, hmm, is that what I want to do? You know, and just kind of stepping to the side and hearing and feeling that voice and walking out of that cage of expectation. Um, and again, this thing, nobody's saying this stuff is is easy to do or it's, you can't really do this stuff without fear. Fear is part of life. You just, you feel it. And again, you kind of step to the side and you're going, well, there's fear. Huh? Well, that's interesting. And then you... But it gives you space to be able to process that stuff. Well, let me bring up a couple of other things. Now, you talked about you were on a, a boat trip. I think this was in Greece. And Amelie, is that how you pronounce her name? Mm-hmm. Yep. She was on the boat with you and y'all went into a storm. And you were noticing the difference in how she was responding versus how you were responding And I'm going to let you explain what happened in that to the listeners. But I wanted to point out that your thoughts about that situation reminded me of a quote from Epictetus that says, people are not disturbed by things, but by the view they take of them. So I thought that was pretty, that your experience and your insight with that was profound. So help explain and describe to the listeners what, what happened on that boat and the difference between Amelie's response to this storm versus yours? Right, right. Yeah, that was a really powerful moment too, because it showed me the power of perspective and how we create our reality through the perspective, you know, which is like the the analogy that I think is pretty ubiquitous at this point is wearing a pair of sunglasses with a different color lens and the different color is basically the perspective that you're wearing in the moment. So you could be seeing life through a rosy tinted glasses. And then the next minute something happens all of a sudden, like, you know, someone yells at you from across the room and calls you a nasty name. And those rose tinted glasses turn into, you know, anger red or something. 
And so that's just the view that we see the world from. And the way that played out on the boat was my, my girlfriend, Amelie, who suffers immensely from seasickness, had been on this little catamaran with us for almost a week and had run out of her seasickness, seasickness patches <laughs> while the captain of the boat is saying that the storm is, is coming through. And we um, didn't have any cove to sort of protect ourselves from the storm. And so we basically sailed through open water in it. And, you know, it was a really big storm. Couldn't see the difference between the sky and the waves and the boat was rocking and rain was pelting. And I happened to experience it as an adventure. And I was just sort of dancing on the side of the boat, you know, holding on tightly and doing what I thought was safe, but, you know, kind of beating my chest and howling into the wind while she was sitting, you know, tucked under her boyfriend's lap, hiding and um, crafting notes of love and farewell to her friends and family. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was experiencing mortal danger while I was experiencing kind of like a pirate adventure. And who was right? You know, like neither of us are quote unquote right. There's no objective way that this particular situation needs to be understood. It's simply the way that we saw it through the color lens that we were wearing. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a wonderful example because you both, like from a third party perspective, from an objective perspective, both of y'all were experiencing the exact same thing, but from an internal perspective from a psychological perspective, clearly based on the evidence of your behavior, you were both processing it so differently. And so I think that's such a good insight. And as we go through life, it's like, okay, well, this is happening, but what, what conclusion do you want to draw about that? How do you want to choose to view that? And that in turn is going to have a huge impact on how you behave, which yeah, that kind of brings me to my last comment I'm going to bring up about the book, and this was on page 37, you said this, empty words are things we say that we don't believe. They are the agreements that we don't sign and they have no power. Now I wanted to say that, and we're going to talk about that for just a second and also point out the book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz that kind of aligns. And I remember talking to my patients about that. It's like, it's not the words, it's not the experience, it's what you agree to. And I really like the way you kind of termed it in terms of legal, like um, something that you would, an agreement that you would sign or not, that if we don't sign on to it, it's just words, whether it's our own or somebody else's. If we don't sign, if we don't become a a co-signer on that, then it's meaningless to us. Like a contract that somebody puts on the table. Well, that's interesting, but I'm not signing that. I don't agree to that. I don't agree to those terms. I'm not signing that. And when Mm -hmm. we say we're not signing it, we're making sort of like a a declaration, a statement that, nope, I do not support that. I do not agree with that. And I'm not attaching myself to this agreement. So if we think about that psychologically and how many times in our life, whether it's our own thoughts that are coming along or someone else's that they're projecting them onto us, we have the power to decide and to view it as an interesting contract. Do we want to sign on to this to say, I agree to these terms and I'm going to participate in this or not? So 
what, you know, when you were going through that, what kind of were your thoughts and, and feelings and insights? Yeah, that is so tremendous of a concept to not just understand, but embody. And I still go through it all the time. I'll give you an example. It's the difference between having a thought and then believing the thought. Once we decide we believe the thought, that's us signing the agreement and saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to internalize this and make it true. And then it becomes part of our perspective framework through which we create reality. So on the boat, I had a thought, oh, maybe I might fall off and die. It's not like I didn't think it, but it came and went without getting caught in my personal um, belief trap of, is this true for me? Is this a thought that I believe? And it wasn't. So it just went, went on through. And so the, the example that I was thinking of and where I'm still, you know, personally really moving through this is in postpartum, I have two young kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I have been adjusting to my new body for a long time, I guess, you know, over a year now and looking in the mirror and having such a spectrum of thoughts about this body. You know, sometimes it's, oh my gosh, this body created a miracle and look at what amazing things it can do. And I'm so proud of it. And then sometimes I'll look at my body and go, look, what a gross meat sack. This doesn't look like me. This isn't me. I don't like this body. Right. And I will hold both of them as true in the moment that I really am looking in the mirror and thinking them, they'll both be true. And so it's up to me to decide, well, which, which one do I want to sign? You know, if I'm going to pick a story about my body, which one is the one that I want? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like that because aren't we all, we're all in a story, but I think sometimes we feel like someone else is writing it. And we don't realize we're the ones writing our story. And so what I'm hearing you say, and what I've seen other people try to struggle with doing is this is our life. This is our story. Step into authorship. Like you literally did. You know, sometimes we need to figuratively step into the authorship. Stop letting other people write your story. You write it. You decide. Like you said, you're standing in front of that mirror. And how many of us haven't done that? And just looking at like, oh my gosh, yes, there are things there that we might not like that we see. But then again, you kind of have to question, where did that perception come from? You know, that whole, that whole stepping to the side and going, well, that's curious. Right, right. To bring the witness into that, of course, then, you know, I'll have a moment where I'm looking in the mirror and saying, oh, this body is a miracle. And then my witness that I've cultivated shows up. And it's like, okay, there's Danielle having an experience in which she's appreciating her body. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there's a witness to that witness. And I go, ooh, good. For, it's like, ooh, good for me moment that like I have a witness there who saw the space of, of what Danielle the human is experiencing, right? And there's like a little celebra- celebration. And then there's me looking in the mirror saying, oh, I, I really don't like my body right now. And then the witness comes in and goes, oh, there's Danielle judging herself. And similarly, then I still get to have a celebration because I'm like, oh, there's a witness showing up again. (laughs) I love that. I mean, that gives us that gives us space to 
accommodate our thoughts and feelings and we don't have to be sucked under the bus by them. We can observe them and think, well, that's, isn't that curious or isn't that interesting? Um, and just decide what we want to think about that. And do we want to sign on to this particular set of, of, of thoughts? Do we want to decide we're going to believe them or not? And if we do, you know, say, we say, yes, well, my body doesn't look great, but then according to what? That's where the expectations come into play. According to those magazines that we see, according to the the models that are walking the catwalk, you know, I, I tell you, I've seen some people in my office that if you were to see them walking up and down the sidewalk, they look like amazing. They look like they've got it all together, but we don't. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do Phoenix and Flame, because I was hearing people came to my office that were saying, I feel so alone in this, but I would know they were not. And, you know, we're looking at other people that seemingly have it all together. We're all struggling. We all have different things we're struggling with. And that's why I say we, because it's a collective. We are a group of people, and when we understand that, yes, we are struggling with things, yes, we are, and so is everybody else that you see, then we're like, okay, it's part of the process, and we, we create that space. Danielle, I thank you so much for your willingness to spend the time and the effort that you did to create Atlas of Being, the book that you wrote, and I'm going to continue reading that to see what else is in there. It's just amazing. Listeners, you've got to go get Danielle's book. Now, let's make sure that everybody knows where to go. So do you want them to go to DanielleSunberg.com? That's perfect. Sure. Okay. I'm going to spell this. Okay. Danielle, I think we all know how to spell Danielle, but Sunberg is S-U-N-B-E-R-G. Right. Like an iceberg, but a sun. (laughs) love that all right danielle thank you again for spending your time today out of your because you're a busy mom of two small children you've got a lot going on thank you for joining us on phoenix and flame thank you dana i really have i enjoyed these conversations are just so fun and fulfilling and i walk away a different person too even though it's my words and my work having those conversations with people about it opens up new ways to think about it and new things to explore. So I really appreciate it. This is awesome. I just, I so enjoyed being able to talk with you and read your book. That's fantastic. Listeners, I know that you've heard things today that you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is life-changing. This is something I really need to think about. You probably even have like friends or family or coworkers that you're thinking, oh, I know the person that really, really needs to hear this then share the podcast. If you need to copy and paste it into a text, into an email, if you want to share it on your favorite social media platforms, do whatever you need to do to share it and get the message out there so we can grow our Phoenix and Flame community and that we are all transforming. We all have sat in the ashes at times and we're all pulling through and pushing through to transform into the Phoenix that we can be. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.